The only thing I want to say to start is that if you've never been fishing before, if you have no concept of what an actual big fish story actually is, like, this whole metaphor is completely lost on you. <laughs> what this, the hell? This this movie has nothing to do with fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, Ross, but it's like, it's the metaphor! <laughs> back to kicking and streaming where it's all made up and the fish is just a metaphor i'm carrie i'm ross and this week we are talking about the 2003 tim burton fantasy film big fish guys he's back <laughs> it's tim burton how many tim burton projects have we done we did the nightmare before christmas we did corpse bride so this is our third yes timmy's back back again stop burton's back tell a friend before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And folks, don't forget, in the month of March, practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join this watch party. All right. Ready to go fishing? No. Why? <laughs> I hate you. The puns? How many times am I going to fire you this episode? I mean, it's probably going to be at least once or twice. Oh my goodness. In telling the story of my father's life, it's impossible to separate fact from the fiction, the man from the myth. The best I can do is to tell it the way he told me. From the imagination of director Tim Burton. Most men, they'll tell you a story straight through. It won't be complicated, but it won't be interesting either. Did you ever think that maybe you're not too big? But maybe this town is just too small? They say when you meet the love of your life, time stops. And that's true. Your mother was never supposed to marry me. She was engaged to somebody else. Forget it, kid. Don't waste your time. She's out of your league. You don't even know me. Sure I do. You were hot stuff back in Hickville. But here in the real world, you got squat. Now, I may not have much, but I have more determination than any man you're ever likely to meet. Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you. I was drying out. <laughs> Dad, I have no idea who you are. What do you want, Well, Who do you want me to be? Just yourself. Just show me who you are for once. Discover an adventure as big as life itself. In telling the story of my father's life... Bravo, Cody, go! ...doesn't always make sense. That's what kind of story this is. Big Fish. Carrie Ann loves this film. Absolutely love it. She's been pushing me to watch it for quite some time. And like I said, I, was, had, a, I had a good idea with how my viewing of this movie would go. 
it went exactly that way. So I'm not disappointed. I'm not overjoyed. I am perfectly satisfied. I will say this. This is a different kind of Tim Burton film for me. I mean, if I had to compare it to another Tim Burton movie, I would compare it to Edward Scissorhands. I guess kind of, yeah. Where we have like mostly normal life punctuated by these fantastical elements. There's this southern gothic tone to it, Mm -hmm. but the world is still somehow very Burton. Guys, you know it. If it's Tim, it's Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Danny's here to give us another killer score. (laughs) A $53.2 million profit. It's an excellent movie. Yeah, you really, I, I know. We, we've said it. You really like this movie. Like, and there's just, I just hate that there's not going to be time to talk about everything I want to talk about. There's so many fantastic elements, whether it's like the nonlinear storyline or the production or the writing. It's just, ah, it's going to be a full day, guys. <laughs> All right. You might have guessed it, but we have names. In his first kicking and streaming appearance, we have Mr. Ewan McGregor. Huh? Ewan McGregor. Really? Yes. Uh, Mr. Obi-Wan Kenobi himself from the prequels, y'all. Oh my. <laughs> I know, the prequels are trash. Listen, if anyone was going to cast, you know, a younger version of Alec Guinness, it's probably Ewan McGregor. And he's so pretty. Yeah, he's all right. He's in another one of my favorite movies, uh, Moulin Rouge. That's a big favorite. He's Rodney Copperbottom in Robots. Yes, he's he the is. the voice of Rodney Copperbottom, and we've got to do Robots. Yes, we do. Apparently, he's a dedicated motorcyclist. Ooh. He's a biker. <gasps> no, don't say that. Oh, stop it. Oh, even McGregor on a motorcycle. Stop it now. <laughs> oh, my God. In 2004... McGregor was named the fourth most influential person in British culture? Hey! In 2004! Hey, girl! In all of British culture? (laughs) Maybe there were other options. I feel like there were more influential people at the time. Anyway, in his second kicking and streaming appearance, we have Mr. Albert Finney. He's Daddy Warbucks in the 1982 movie adaptation of Annie. Which is the inferior film adaptation of Annie. This is not the time or place to have that conversation, (laughs) and you know it. Do you want to very quickly tell everybody what your favorite moment is from the Annie adaptation? Guys, we'll talk more about it when we do finally cover Annie, but the one line from that 1982 version that gets me every time is Albert Finney is Daddy Warbucks looking at that portrait that they present to him and he goes hmm I might learn to like her hang her in my bathroom <laughs> he's also in Murder on the Orient Express 1974 he's in Aaron Brockovich yes! with Julia Roberts yes Guys, he was the voice of Lord Finnis Everglot when we did Corpse Bride last Halloween. Fetch me musket. <laughs> oh, he's also in Born Legacy. Yes. With Matt Damon. Yeah. From the Adjustment Bureau. <laughs> we have, in his first and probably only kicking and streaming appearance, Mr. Billy Crudup. Oh, he's in Spotlight. Yes, he is. He's actually, you know what? We, he will be coming back. He most definitely will be coming back because he's in Jackie. Oh, God. He plays the interviewer. I know we in, have to talk about Jackie at Jackie. some point. His piano was designed by Franklin Roosevelt <laughs> with the eagle support. <laughs> All right, Ms. Onassis. <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry. In her first kicking and streaming appearance... Please welcome Miss Jessica Lang! Jessica! 
I can't believe you're here, girl. Hey, girl. Well, you know what her middle name is? Tell me. It's Phyllis. Aw, I love it. You guys will definitely recognize her from American Horror Story. Guys, she's in that classic but bad King Kong remake from 1976. Yes. <laughs> Cape Fear, she's in that movie with Robert De Niro. All that jazz, blue sky. In addition to being a fabulous actress, she is eternally gorgeous. She's 71 years old. God she damn. Is banging. Yes. Guys, in her first kicking and streaming appearance, she'll be back with us soon. Hint, hint. But we have Marion Cotillard. Marion Cotillard, you may know from her role in the movie Contagion. Mm -hmm. She's the woman that they kidnapped for the vaccine. She was in Dark Knight Rises, Inception. She's a voice in Minions. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Marion Cotillard is in Minions. We have the one, the only, the incomparable. Helena Bonham Carter. Guys, uh, she was here when we covered Corpse Bride. With Albert Finney. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the Br Tim Burton Mafia together. Absolutely. Guys, the roles, King's Speech, Frankenstein. Ugh. Um, who can forget her unforgettable performance in Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit? I hate what I hate that you always bring that up. <laughs> Anytime you mention Wallace and Gromit, I'm going to do it. Guys, she's in Fight Club. She's Bellatrix Lestrange in the Harry Potter saga. She's in Les Mis, Ocean's 8. She's the Queen of Hearts. She is in Alice in Wonderland because she's in the Tim Burton Mafia. <laughs> she was married to Tim Burton for a time. Speaking of the Tim Burton Mafia, she's also in Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Dark Shadows. Like, she, if it's. She's in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? She's Mrs. Bucket. That's right! She's Charlie's mom. Oh my god. Mm hmm. Please welcome back. Mr. Danny DeVito. Danny! He was with us when we did Last Action Hero. He was also with us when he um, directed and starred in Matilda. That's a good episode, guys. Go give it a listen. He's also the voice of the Lorax. Leave! Vacate the premises! Take your axe and get out! And who are you? Wait, wait! I'm, I'm the Lorax! Guardian of the forest! I speak for the trees! He was perfect for that. I want a live action version of the Lorax, but with Danny DeVito. <laughs> like some scary, yeah. traumatizing yeah. Grinch makeup? Yes. Like it'll be Danny DeVito, but he'll be sucified. Yeah. And he'll, it'll scar a whole new generation of children. So we have a gentleman named Matthew McGrory. Remember last week when we had Andre the Giant? Yeah. In Princess Bride? We have another giant this week. Well, basically, again, he's probably the only human being who could have played this role. Exactly. He holds the Guinness World Record for tallest actor, biggest feet, and longest toe. He's <laughs> seven foot six. Yeah, he's a tower of a man. And R.I.P., he passed away about 15 years ago. Aw, yeah, like two years after this movie was made. Mm -hmm. Aw, rest in peach. And guys, also in the Tim Burton Mafia, we have Deep Roy. Oh, Deep Roy. Deep Roy to Tim Burton is Warwick Davis to Warner Brothers. It's like, I think you brought this up in Haunted Mansion, where you asked, hmm, does Deep Roy constantly get exploited by Tim Burton? Yes. I would not argue with anyone who said yes. That's my position. We know he's teeny weeny in, um, uh... Never Ending Story. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate that they dub him. I know. In Never Ending Story. His his normal voice would have been just fine. Also, he's all the Oompa Loompas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Like, 
that that was work. I can't wait to talk about that movie. I know. One, to rip it apart, and two, to talk about how hard Deep Roy worked on that film. <laughs> All right, we should probably get started. Yeah, we need to start talking about the movie. start this conversation with a brief explanation because I know that not everybody out there has ever been fishing before. I certainly have only been fishing a couple of times in my life. Tried fishing once, fell in, <laughs> bunch of turtle poop, yep. couldn't do it. That was it for you. <laughs> so guys, if you go fishing by yourself and you catch nothing, you might be encouraged to go back to your friends and tell a lie about this humongous fish that you caught while you were out there on the water by yourself. You know, like a liar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then for some reason, some fantastical reason, the fish broke the line or it jumped out of the boat, whatever, the big fish gets away. And there's no evidence, right? The definition of Pixar, it didn't happen. Exactly. <laughs> you are most certainly right, sir. And that's what this story is. This is a big fish story. This is a story about a young man coming to terms with his father's life story and how much of it is true or not. This is about a man who likes to tell tall tales. Mm, a man after my own heart. I think when you tell big stories, you tell big stories. I don't think you lie on purpose to make them more interesting. You don't? I really don't. Are you telling me? <laughs> Are you telling me right now that you tell me lies? Is that what you're telling me? No, 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 I don't, I don't. No, I, I, I do like to uh, embellish. <laughs> yes, and our main character is a prolific embellisher. <laughs> we open with the voice of our main character, Edward Bloom. That's Albert Finney and Ewan McGregor, correct? Yeah, yes, that's the thing about this movie, guys, is that we have a lot of things taking place in flashback and in the present. So we've got multiple actors playing each character. One of them busy films. Yeah, it's one of them busy <laughs> films. And Ewan McGregor will be playing the young version of Edward, and Albert Finney will be playing the old version of Edward. Uh, we open with the voice of Edward Bloom giving us a little narration. Most of the stories of his life have really wild elements that definitely make them sound like lies. And the get of this movie is trying to sort out the fact from the fiction. It's really easy. It's really easy. <laughs> guys <laughs> the story that he tells the most often is about the day his son will was born this one's not true yeah no <laughs> sorry <laughs> you're just gonna spoil it for us right up front i'm sorry all keep, right keep going we start the movie with multiple scenes of edward telling this story about how he caught an uncatchable fish on the day his son Will was born. This fish is like stuff of legend. It's humongous. It's lived in the river for decades. No one's ever been able to catch this fish. There's like a rumor that it's not really a fish, but maybe it might be the spirit of a thief who drowned in that river. I didn't put any stock into such speculation or superstition. All I knew was I'd been trying to catch that fish since I was a boy no bigger than you. And on the day you were born, well, that was the day I finally caught him. He's telling the story at multiple stages of Will's life. When he's a little kid and he's telling it to his Cub Scout troop. Then he's telling his prom date. And then we cut to Will as a grown-up. He's getting married to Marion Cotillard. Her name's Josephine. Of course it is. He's standing up at the wedding reception telling this story. He's always finding a way 
to stand up at these important events in Will's life and tell stories and make it about him. Y- any of y'all out there listening got dads that always got something to say? Because <laughs> we, we feel you. Yeah, we feel you. <laughs> Love you, Dad. Love you, Pops. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, he walks out of the reception. This is where we see <clears throat> Will's mother for the first time. Hi, Sandy. Hi, ma'am. Miss <laughs> Sandra Bloom. Hi, Sandra. Played by Jessica Lang. Hey, girl. She's just kind of always in the middle of them. She's one of those well-meaning mothers. Yeah, she doesn't want anyone to fight. Edward's up front at the reception telling the end of that story, and Sandra's walking towards him down the aisle. That was the lesson I learned that day. The day my son was born. Sometimes the only way to catch an uncatchable woman is to offer her a wedding ring. Okay. <laughs> I mean, hey, as a storyteller, it, it's a good story. I, I like it. It's just, the problem is, is that it never happened. <laughs> I can understand why Will is frustrated. His He kind of thinks his dad's whole affect is, why are we not about me? Exactly. When that's not really it. Like, you know, Ed's just being Ed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. But he's like, not trying to make everything about him. Will's outside the venue yelling at him about how he's always got to be the center of attention. For one night, one night in your entire life, the universe did not revolve around Edward Bloom. How can you not understand that? I'm sorry to embarrass you. You're embarrassing yourself, Dad. You just don't see it. So after they have that fight... Will and his new wife, Josephine, they move to Paris. Will stops talking to his father for three years. Ouch! I know. Oof, that's a long time. And I bet it was kind of easy not living in the same country, like just never having to think about him. And I love the way Will puts it when he's like, true to form, we never talked about not talking. I'm like, that's white people for you. That is, that is white people behavior to the T. We're not going to talk about it. Let's make believe like everything's okay. Then we actually see, but then we actually see a flashback of Ewan McGregor as young Edward catching this fish with the wedding ring. So like right from the jump, this movie is gaslighting. Oh, we love a gaslighting king, don't we? I know, I know, I know. This movie is all over the place when it comes to timeline and location. So I just want to take a more linear approach and go through Edward's childhood by highlighting some of the more absurd stories that we hear about his youth. Oh my God, thank you. I was not looking forward to playing narrative hopscotch. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to describe it. That's a really good way to describe it. Because as Edward is telling stories, we're just hopping in and out of the present. And it's really confusing. So here we go. The first thing I want to talk about, the first BS story from Edward's childhood, is about the time he saw his own death in the glass eye of an old woman. I'm sorry, what? Okay, so here's the thing. Like most towns in southern gothic novels, we have a Boo Radley house. <laughs> yeah. <Right>? That house. <laughs> yeah. That house in the neighborhood that's creepy, run down, no one wants to go near it, except for kids who want to prove what kind of cojones they have. Don't go out that there wrong. Yeah, don't go out that <laughs> Young Edward and a bunch of his little school friends are walking up to this house. I heard if you look right at it, you'll see how you're going to die. That's boy, S-H-I-T, that is. She's not even a real witch. You're so sure. Why don't you go on and get that eye? I heard she keeps it in a box on the night table. Uh, are you too scared? 
I'll go in right now and get that eye. So most kids in this situation might, I don't know, break a window, sneak in, steal the eye, and bring it back as proof. But not Edward. Edward walks right up to the door and knocks on it. And it swings open and whoo! There's Helena Bonham Carter. She's a witch. She's like really old. The makeup on this woman she, is phenomenal. She's giving me Last Midnight vibes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like from Into the Woods. Last Midnight. <laughs> we cut back to the kids and here comes Edward and they're like, well, did you get it? And he's like, yeah, I brought it. And he's... <laughs> He steps out of the way, and there's the witch. She's right there. <laughs> oh, my God. She freaks the hell out of all those kids. Because each one of those kids looks into her eye and obviously sees how they're going to die. <laughs> that kid's like, I saw how I was going to die. I was old, and I fell. And that other kid, I wasn't old at all. Ah, ah, <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> no, thank you. So all the other kids run off, and Edward uh, has an idea. I was thinking about death and all. About seeing how you're gonna die. I mean, on one hand, if that was all you thought about, it could kinda screw you up. But it kinda help you, couldn't it? Because everything else, you know you could survive. I guess I'm saying I'd like to know. So the witch lifts up her eye patch, lets him see how he's gonna die, but we don't get to see it. No. That's gonna be part of the whole mystery of this movie. He's literally just like, huh. That's how I go. And I'm like, okay. The second story we hear, he tells his son this story about how one day he's sitting in church, moaning a hymn, minding his own business. Moaning a hymn, as you do in Alabama. And he just starts growing rapidly right there in the pew. I think they call this puberty in other parts of the country. Exactly. <laughs> He tells Will that he had to be in bed for three years on this crazy machine that just seems to be, like, working out all his limbs. Yeah, this could, the limb contraption? <laughs> yes. Like, what's that about? <laughs> it's like the taffy puller thing in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that has to stretch out Mike TV. And he's reading the encyclopedia, because that's really all he can do, and he reads this article about the goldfish. Kept in a small bowl, the goldfish will remain small. With more space, the fish will grow double, triple, or quadruple its size. It occurred to me then that perhaps the reason for my growth was that I was intended for larger things. After all, a giant man can't have an ordinary size life. So he just starts overachieving at everything. Mm, I need to do that too. He's captain of all the sports teams, football, baseball, basketball. He's beaten everybody at everything. Yeah, he becomes the golden boy hot item, like, pretty fast. All the girls want him. All the boys are jealous of him. Like, he starts a lawn care business at the tender age of 18. He's rescuing dogs from burning houses. Yeah, when that when that came up, the shot of him carrying the dog out of the inferno <laughs> without anything else on. He's just wearing a football sweater. Yeah, but his Letterman sweater and... I'm just like, okay, this is too much. He has quite literally become an Alabama good old boy. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. We're going back to the present now. Sandra, Will's mother, calls them in Paris and tells them that his father's cancer prognosis is no longer very good. His father's been battling cancer for a little while. He's been on chemo. But things have not gone very well, and they're going to stop chemo. So now Will's got to go back and be with his father in what is presumably his final days. Uh-oh. 
And even though his wife, Josephine, is extremely pregnant. I wouldn't say extremely. She's seven months pregnant. Really? Because she doesn't look like it. Well, she is. They have not given her a dear enough bump. <laughs> if we're supposed to believe she's seven months pregnant. But she's going to come with him too. They get to his childhood home in Ashton, Alabama. This house they live in? Oh, it's gorgeous. I can't tell if it's gorgeous and I want to live there or if it's perilous and I hope an earthquake doesn't happen because that thing's coming down. Because it's like kind of on the side of a hill. Yeah. It almost looks like a haunted house, but like white. <laughs> like if it was black. It would look spooky. You know what it reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of the house from Beetlejuice. Yeah. Like. You're right. Big time. I would, I would agree. I would agree. Because it's got some farmhouse vibes, but it's also got like some spires on it that also make it look like a castle. It's so weird that you say that because I was getting Beetlejuice vibes from this. Yeah. For some reason. And I don't know why, but let's continue. Sandra's filling him in on how impossible Edward has been as a cancer patient. Because remember, Edward doesn't think he's gonna die from cancer because he already saw how he was gonna die in the eye. Yeah, the witch's eye from when he was a kid. You know the thing that totally happened? <laughs> we go back to Edward's young life in flashback and we see the story of the day that a monster, quote unquote, came to Ashton. This is crazy. I, like, I love, I, I love all the little stories in this movie. So here's what happens. Livestock in Ashton start going missing, right? Mm. And finally, people figure out that it is this huge individual. Like, we're talking like 10, 12 feet tall. Yeah. He's just going around to farms, kidnapping whole sheep because he needs something to eat. So before the town can get an actual mob together, Edward offers to go talk to the giant and see if he could get him to, you know, leave. Yeah, because Ed's the golden boy. He's the hero of the town, just cuz. And so he's like, oh, let me go talk to him. I bet I can persuade him because he's not afraid to because he already knows how he's going to die. He goes to this spooky cave outside town where the giant is hiding. And he's calling into the cave like, hello? My name is Edward Bloom and I want to talk to you. Go away. Now, I'm not going anywhere until you show yourself. I said go away. <laughs> like, oh shit. Like, this is a big man. He comes walking out of that cave. And I love the point of view camera shot where it's just rising higher and higher above Ewan McGregor. He looks like a swamp monster. Just a little bit. But then again, he's, it's Alabama. He's like wearing animal pelts. His hair's really long and dirty and unkempt. What's his name? His name is Carl. Carl. And you think that Carl's going to eat Edward, but like he just kind of sits down all flustered. Like, God damn it. Because you know what's good to do when you're at odds with someone? Talk it out. <laughs> you can start with my hand. It'll be an appetizer. I don't want to eat you. I don't want to eat anybody. I just... I'm so hungry. I'm just too big. Did you ever think that maybe you're not too big? But maybe this town is just too small? I get so sick of Edward so quickly. <laughs> Why? Because he's just kind of like, hey, pal, how you doing? And it's, it's like, I'm less sick of Albert Finney, Edward, and more sick of Ewan McGregor, Edward. It's the earnestness. Yes, thank you. <laughs> That's it. It's the earnestness. Um, earnestness and abundance just makes me tired. <laughs> I don't know why. I love earnest people, but then again. Well, I do want you to leave, Carl. But I want to leave with you. I mean, you think this town is too small for you? 
Well, it's too small for a man of my ambition. So what do you say? Join me? And that's how Carl and Edward became friends. They walk for a little while until they come to this fork in the road. One of the roads is paved and brand new and it's well lit. And then this other one goes through the really creepy woods that's just outside of town. The Nopey Tim Burton Woods? The Nopey Tim Burton Woods. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Nobody who's gone into this wood has ever re-emerged alive. <laughs> it's just like the fire swamp. <laughs> we'll never survive. Oh, d- nonsense. You're just saying that because no one ever has. <laughs> Edward and Carl decide they're going to split up. Why, I don't know. I think Edward just legit wants to see what's down this road. Yeah, and Carl's like, well, how do I know you're not just going to ditch me? And he is like, how about this? I'll just meet you on the other side. And you can have my backpack. Yeah, he gives him all his shit. He's like, here, here's my guarantee. You'll find me on the other side. (laughs) This wood is dark and foggy and swampy. There's hornets, jumping spiders, arbolus assholuses that pick you up off the ground and strangle you. Guys, there's whopping willows. (laughs) There's whopping willows in the Tim Burton woods. When he finally emerges from the darkness of the wood, he walks into this little clearing that has a very small town in it. This is the town of Spectre. There is no road in the town of Spectre. There's just this grassy easement that runs through the middle of town that's supposed to be the road. Like, that's the thing. I would so fall for this. I know. (laughs) It looks like a very cute little community. There's like this weird wire i would assume it's a telephone wire like we pan up and we just see all these pairs of shoes tied to this line and i'm like uh uh-uh, no fuck that i don't like that at all that's sus <laughs> where did all those people go exactly so we start checking out specter he's walking through the center of town and this man who is wearing a three-piece suit no shoes and carrying a clipboard comes right out to greet him he's so happy to see him Brad. Welcome to you. What's your name? Edward Bloom. Hmm. Bloom like a flower? Yes. Oh, here. Here you are right here. Edward Bloom. Here's the thing, and what goes back to your whole cult vibe. They were expecting him. And they're like, oh my God, you came early. And he's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) They've got his name and where he came from on the clipboard. It's like they're the Adjustment Bureau. So it turns out he's not the only visitor to come from Ashton to Spectre. Yeah, there was a very, there was a locally famous poet named Norther Winslow. He's the one who took that road to see where it went and he never came back. But it turns out he found Spectre as well and he's just, he's still there. So human cigarette Steve Buscemi is playing uh, Norther Winslow. We're sitting in the mayor's house, the mayor, Norther, and Edward. We're eating apple pie. All of the chairs at the dining room table are rocking chairs. Yeah, like, I don't, there's just this air of there's not a problem in the world. Yeah. You know, like, everything is good. And I'm like, I'm still unsettled by it. Like, I I, I don't like how content they all are. That's what Norther's talking about, about how the, the ground is always soft, the weather is always perfect, even the water is sweet. It's why he went into the Tim Burton nopey woods and never came out. He <laughs> likes it, Inspector. While they're talking, uh, the mayor's daughter, Jenny, she's probably, I think she's eight years old. She crawls under the table... And she takes Edward's shoes off of his feet and runs out the front door with them. This is the cult initiation. (laughs) I don't know. 
I don't think. <laughs> no, this is it, and you know it is. No, here's the thing. I don't think any. I don't think Jenny does this at anybody's behest. I think this is something that Jenny does to keep people from leaving. One of us. One of us. Hey, Jenny. <laughs> come back here. She runs outside with his shoes, ties them together by the laces, and hurls them over that telephone wire. And there's already so many pairs of shoes up there. Like, <laughs> how many of these people wandered in here and then just couldn't leave because a little girl put a spell on them so they couldn't? I think she's just a little girl with attachment issues who doesn't want anybody to leave. And I mean, hey, how are they supposed to leave without their shoes? All right, you want to talk about uh, the... <laughs> Okay. The hoedown? All right. It's Alabama. <laughs> so we're having a hoedown. <laughs> it's a good old-fashioned Alabama hoedown in the middle of town. Yeah. It's a cult activity. Yes. <laughs> it's mandatory. And at 5 p.m., everybody better be in the goddamn town square <laughs> hoeing down. So everybody's dancing barefoot in the middle of town. We're line dancing. There's bluegrass, a sign. And they pull Edward into the middle of the dancing. And this is where we get the camera trick like they used in Titanic. Oh, straight out of Jim Cameron's Titanic, where we're just swinging around from either vantage point. Jenny thinks you're quite a cat. We all do. What? I said you're quite a cat. Edward's in the center looking at the faces of all these people who are so happy he's here. Remember when we were watching this and I screamed because <laughs> I wanted it to stop? <laughs> you, were, you were like, all right, <laughs> we get it. It's great here. Steve Buscemi's just bouncing around in the background. Like, I didn't like it. <laughs> it unsettled me greatly. And finally, Edward just stops and is like, I have to leave. And their little minds just about explode. And the cult turns on him. <laughs> this town is more than any man could ask for. And if I were to end up here, I would consider myself lucky. But the truth is, I'm just not ready to end up anywhere. But no one's ever left. You'll never find a better place than this. This is what cults do. You could look at it that way. I'm sorry, I know I'm on this. <laughs> it's quite literally a cult. It's a little culty, yes. The Spectre cult. But like, it's not like they're gonna keep him from leaving. We're gonna start a true crime podcast about the Spectre cult. Okay. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do Ooh, let's call it, um, Missing Souls. But like, S-O-L-E-S. Stop it! Like, You're fired! Like the sole of your shoe. Stop! Oh my god. <laughs> He's getting his stuff to leave and he's going to he's going to have to leave without his shoes and he's walking towards the woods barefoot and Jenny little Jenny comes up to him and goes I promise you'll come back I promise someday when I'm really supposed to what does that mean? I don't know what, the, I don't think he knows what it means. Why were they expecting him? See, this is where I kind of start to get in the movie that there are probably events in Edward's life that definitely did happen, but this is the embellishment part, right? They, of course, did not know he was coming. That's something that Edward said to make the story more interesting. I love the little dinner scene in the present time. <laughs> where Albert Finney Edward is sitting at the head of the table and we're having dinner. It's Josephine, Will, Sandra, and Edward. And Edward is like, it's like dead silent. <laughs> like no one's talking. And finally Edward just pipes up and is like, 
Did you know that in Africa, in the Congo, there are birds, parrots, that speak only French? <laughs> and Josephine's like, mm, really? And then <laughs> Will's like, you know, Josephine actually went to the Congo. <laughs> Josephine was not going to take that away from Edward. Yeah, Josephine <laughs> thinks it's cute. I but know. Will has to ruin it because it's about Edward. After dinner, Josephine goes to look in on Edward. And this is where Edward tells her the story of how he met Sandra. Like, she's never heard this story because Will never told her. Because Will's pretty sure that this story never happened. We can't blame him. No. We, I, I, can, <laughs> we cannot blame him. No, we can't. After the witch and the cult in the woods. Yeah, Mother-in-law was never supposed to marry me. She was engaged to somebody else. I never knew. Will never told you? Uh, probably just as well. You would have told it wrong anyway. All the facts, none of the flavor. Oh. So this is a tall tale. Well, it's not a short one. Edward's narrating again in flashback, telling us about how he and Carl reunited. Eventually, they come up on this traveling circus. Of and, course. <laughs> and stop to watch a show. Why would they? Ross, who is the ringmaster of this show? His name is Amos Calloway. Um, it's Danny DeVito. Guys, Danny DeVito has arrived. <laughs> it's Danny DeVito playing the Danny DeVito character. <laughs> There's always one. Yes, there is always one. There's always one. He's introducing this strongman act very dramatically, I might add. When I met this man, he was picking oranges in Florida. His fellow workers called him El Penumbra, the shadow. Because when you work beside him, he blocked out the daylight. This strongman performer busts out of this box doing some fire eating and being all big and intimidating. He's not even that big. He's not. He's probably like 6'5 max. Yeah, it's literally just like a tall albino. And like Edward's like, well, that's cute. You should see my friend over here. Not that she, not that we should be ogling at human beings in a circus act. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Like, we shouldn't treat humans like that. We should have never treated unique humans like that. Or animals. Yeah. Like circuses have always been bad, but these are the days when you could put a fat person out on a stage and call them the thousand pound man. And I'm just like, could you, could you not? Where people just come and laugh at you and throw things at you because yep. you're fat. Exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, you and I would have been a circus act oh. back in the day. Yeah, we sure. Oh the, my God. The Lorge, the Lorge siblings. <laughs> the two ton twins. The two ton twins. Oh my God. I like how we just made a big deal of how horrible that would have been. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then I got so excited <laughs> at the thought. Because at least I would have you Aww. to have shit thrown at me with. That's so sweet. Yeah, we could cry at night together. <laughs> oh my god! About how horrible our lives are. Oh man. Anyway. Speaking of human exploitation, Carl walks into that circus tent and the world just stops. Because Ed's always got something better. Exactly. I'm sick of it. I <laughs> <laughs> Ringmaster Amos sees Carl and he just, I mean, people who are different looking are his bread and butter. He's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what is this? Give me this. He has Carl sign a contract that basically guarantees him to be an indentured servant for the rest of his life. I kind of feel like this is Ed getting rid of Carl. Just a little bit. Like, I, like that's the vibe I get. Because what does he say? He goes... 
It was on that night Carl met his destiny, and I met mine almost. All right, guys, it's time to talk about young Sandra. Oh, yeah. The actress's name is Allison Lohman. We didn't really cover her in We've Got Names. She is a remarkable choice to play a young Jessica Lange. She's very beautiful. She has, like, reddish blonde hair and hazel eyes. And when Edward first lays eyes on her, I hate that I love this so much. They say when you meet the love of your life, time stops. And that's true. And guys, it time actually stops. Everyone freezes. Everyone freezes in place. And Edward just stands up and he starts weaving his way through all the people trying to get close to her. And the music is so sweet. The bloom filter is out of control. I love the effect where he's pushing the popcorn kernels out of the air. Yes. Around him. Oh my God, it's such a great effect. What they don't tell you is that once time starts again, it moves extra fast to catch up. Everybody restarts, and everything's moving really, really fast. Because time's got to catch up. <laughs> you laughed so hard, you're like, oh, goodbye. <laughs> and unfortunately, she gets away from him. Yeah. Edward's sitting there on a bench, miserable that he let her get away. So it turns out that Amos is actually a friend of that woman's family, the woman that Edward has decided he's going to marry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, he's like, yeah, I know her family. And Edward immediately wants the tea. Who is she? Where does she live? Forget it, kid. Don't waste your time. She's out of your league. What do you mean? You don't even know me. Sure I do. You were hot shit back in Hickville, but here in the real world, you got squat. You don't have a plan, you don't have a job, you don't have anything except the clothes on your back. Amos makes him this ridiculous offer. He says, you work for me for free, and for every month you work for me, I'll tell you one thing about her. This is a scam. Y you think? This is a, ah, damn Amos for this. As much as I know I said I love that moment, like, guys, this is love at first sight bullshit. Edward is now going to reorganize his whole life around trying to find this woman. And we get this whole montage of poor Edward just working for free, shoveling animal shit, He's getting launched out of cannons. That one scene where he's minding the, the whirly-doo, the whirly-go-round or whatever. The whirly-go-round? I don't know what it's called. Okay. It's one of those rides that throws you up and down and goes in circles. Oh, yeah, like a scrambler thing. Yeah. yeah. And he's falling asleep at the controls and that car just, boom, puts him into the field next door. <laughs> He practically kills himself for information on this woman. He does this for three years. Three years. Uh, do you want to talk about Mr. Soggy Bottom real quick? Okay. So Deep Roy <laughs> plays Ringmaster Amos's little assistant, Mr. Soggy Bottom. I think he refers to him later on as like his manager or like his, his attorney. His attorney. Yeah, he's a lawyer. <laughs> And, like, he's also a performer in the circus. <laughs> M. Soggy Bottom reporting for counsel. <laughs> Your Honor, I am Mr. Soggy Bottom, and I am here to represent Mr. Calloway. Edward finally decides he needs the tea. He needs the actual hot tea on Sandra. So he's going to go talk to Amos about it. 
What's that phrase when the trailers are rocking, don't come a knocking? Okay, so Amos lives in this trailer, and this trailer is a rocking back and forth, and I'm like, what is Amos doing? I want to know who Amos is doing. Gross. <laughs> don't. Not about our Lord and Savior, Danny. Mr. Calloway? It's Edward Bloom. I need to talk to you. Mr. Calloway? And when he opens the door, a actual wolf jumps out of this trailer and starts attacking him on the ground. What? I, I know, it was the last thing I expected. I remember when we saw the trailer walk it, rocking back and forth, you looked at me and I went, whatever you think it is, I promise it's not that. This was the moment in the movie where I went, okay, this is silly. <laughs> and so Mr. Shoggy Bottom is sitting not a hundred yards away at a picnic table with some of his cronies. He's in this like, Humpty Dumpty outfit. He looks pretty eggy. <laughs> he looks like, like he's, a clown. He's round. Yeah. And like he just walks up to them, opens up the tummy part of his suit, and there's a gun sitting in it. <laughs> and I'm like, Mr. Soggy Bottom is packing. <laughs> and he shoots at them, only to give Edward a flesh wound. And he's so shocked. He's got, like, tears in his eyes. Yeah. And so Edward takes yeah. a different approach. He throws a stick to get the wolf to fuck off. And the wolf is, the wolf thinks they're playing fetch. You know, like a nice doggy. It was that night I discovered the most things you consider evil or wicked are simply lonely and lacking in social niceties. Cut to the morning and we get Danny DeVito's bare ass. I was not happy about that, I gotta tell you. Walking out of the woods because guess what? Amos is the wolf. Amos is a werewolf. I'm sick of it. What the fuck? I'm sick of it. Why did Edward think that anybody would believe that part of the story? And it's like there's this air of, well, the jig is up. Tell me who this girl is. Her name is Sandra Templeton. She goes to Auburn. Semester's almost over, so you better hurry. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck, kid. Thank you, sir. So, we're off to university. <laughs> Edward goes to Auburn, goes right up to the door of Sandra's sorority house. She happens to be the one answering the door, and he wastes no time. You don't know me, but my name is Edward Bloom, and I love you. I I've spent the last three years working to find out who you are. And I've been shot and stabbed and trampled a few times. I broke my ribs twice. But it's all been worth it to see you here now and to finally get to talk to you. She's not not taken with that. She thinks he's sweet. Yeah. And I just, like, I feel bad for every woman who's ever had to be socialized to, like, not hurt men's feelings when, they're, when we're letting them down. You know what I mean? Because, like, she's genuinely upset that she has to break this guy's heart. No, I'm sorry. I'm engaged to be married. Oh. But you're wrong. I do know you. At least by reputation. Edward Bloom from Ashton. See, I'm actually engaged to a boy from Ashton. Don Price. 
The little guy who wasn't old at all when he saw his death in the witch's eye? Yeah, that guy. And then remember from the montage of all of Edward's sport days? He was always that guy in the background who was like, can you believe this motherfucker? And this guy she's engaged to be married to is Roy from The Office. Yes, he is! (laughs) I love that because I feel like that's the only two things I know him from is The Office and this movie where both times he... He plays the guy the girl never got married to? Yes! (laughs) Poor bastard! There's a time when a man needs to fight and a time when he needs to accept that his destiny's lost. The ship has sailed and that only a fool will continue. Truth is, I've always been a fool. Sandra Templeton, I love you and I will marry you! So we get this little montage of Edward doing all of these, like, really pushy public romantic stunts. Like... He's dropping his balls on the table. <laughs> Big time. He said, listen, here it is. This is what it's going to be like. I'm the one. Like, he's so desperate to, like, ingratiate himself to her. We're writing her name in the sky with airplanes. He, oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So she wakes up one morning and she looks out her window. And in the courtyard, he has brought in thousands of yellow daffodils And he is just standing in this field of yellow daffodils. It's such a great shot. Stand by for the waterworks. (laughs) Oh, it's so nice. Just tell me when you're done, okay? All right, I'm sorry. So that we can go on with the show. Daffodils. They're your favorite flower. How did you get so many? I called everywhere in five states. I told them it was the only way to get my wife to marry me. You don't even know me. I'll have the rest of my life to find out. Sandra! Roy's not happy. Ding dong! This is literally the scene in the office where he comes in the office and goes, Hey, helper! And punches him in the face? Yeah. This is the same scene. Yeah. Because obviously Don has heard about all of the wooing that Edward has been doing. So he's here to throw his balls around. I love how Sandra's like, promise me you won't hurt him. Even though Don is like a full head taller than Edward. Yeah. Like Don would definitely win this fight. What the hell are you doing? This is my girl. Mine. I wasn't aware that she belonged to anyone. What's the matter? Are you too scared to fight back? I promised I wouldn't. Stop it! Don, stop! Thanks, Ed. (laughs) Like, thank you. Yeah, honestly. Legitimately, thank you. Like, I wasn't aware she belonged to anyone. That's damn right. So Ed gets his ass beat, like, torn apart. (laughs) Oh my god. Without ever fighting back. And you know what's funny about this is that while he's getting the shit kicked out of him... We get old Edward in narration where he's talking about the fact that Don Price would eventually die on the toilet with a Playboy in his hand at the ripe age of like 35. Just like Elvis. Just like Elvis. You're right. Only like Elvis was like 40 something. Yeah, Elvis was a little (laughs) bit older. Sandra literally just kind of gives her ring back to Don and is like, hey, I could never marry you. Not after that. You suck. Yeah, he's an animal. Yeah. He's an animal feels entitled to her like let's not do that here's the other thing though i mean edward also feels entitled to her like yeah we're, you're right let's not discount that like <laughs> edward's going through all this shit he's basically pressuring her into this 
I mean, yeah, but he's, I mean, honestly, if she had looked him in the face and said, I don't like you, will never like you, I believe Ed would have, you know, left well enough alone. So, like, the moment they decide to get married, Edward is being drafted into the army for the Korean War. What the hell? A hitch in the army was up to three years at that point. And having waited three years just to meet Sandra, I knew I couldn't survive being away from her that long. So I took every hazardous assignment I could find with the hope of getting my time down to less than a year. He ain't phased. He knows he's not going out this way. Yeah, he knows how he's gonna die. And apparently it's not in the Korean War. He's going into this Korean army base to, I think, steal plans for a nuclear power plant, something. But, like, we're in the middle of, like, a variety show on the base. You know, like, when Bob Hope would go visit the American troops overseas, tell jokes, make them feel good. Yeah. It's time for the next act, which is a musical act by a pair of twins named Ping and Jing. Not cool, Tim. Oh, man. Not only are they twins, but they are conjoined twins. Like, they're joined at the hip. One pair of legs and two torsos. This is Ada and Arlene Tai. Oh, yeah. That's the name of the actresses. I've had twice the adventure. I've cried double the tears. I've had two times the bad times. even though it's a little problematic in nature. I need twice the love because, baby, I got twice the love to give. (laughs) And they're really good at it. Like, they've just got the whole bar lounge singer affect down. Edward steals the plans to the nuclear power plant, but he gets separated from the rest of his unit. He's hiding in Ping and Jing's dressing room when they come back after the song, and they discover him in there like, Aah! We can't play any of this because it's all in Korean, I think. I'm not sure, but it's also not subtitled, which is weird because on the DVD I used to own, it's subtitled. But on Amazon Prime, it's not subtitled. What do you expect from Amazon? (laughs) Did you expect a good job? No, I didn't. Oh my god. So basically, we contrived this plan to have Ping and Jing help him escape North Korea, and at the same time, he will get them back to America, where they can work in Amos Calloway's circus. Which, I mean, hey. And they'll become famous. It's exploitive work, but they're gonna be a big attraction. And so, I don't know why. But the army thinks he's dead. Because there's no way to report back. So, but here's the thing. Isn't that desertion? Well, I mean, <laughs> if, he, if he doesn't come back after a mission and they can't really prove that he's deserted, then you're just reported MIA. And after a certain period of time, you're probably presumed dead. So they tell Sander he's dead. And months later, she's just, you know widow washing (laughs) yes she's just very very stoic widow hanging up her drying after four months sandra gotten over the worst of the nightmares when the phone rang she didn't think it was somehow me calling her when a car drove past she didn't get up to check out the window she's hanging up she pins a sheet on the clothesline and she sees this silhouette behind the sheet Mm -hmm. and it's him 
Oh my God. It's Edward come back to her. I would scream. I would scream my head off. And I don't mean for joy. I would mean like, oh my God, you were dead. Hey, sweetheart, I'm not actually dead. <laughs> I love that shot though, where he, she's starting to cry and he's like, oh, don't cry and gives her a kiss. I'm sick of it. <laughs> So back in reality, in the present day, Josephine is encouraging Will to make up with his father before like he dies. Yeah. Because like, you know, you're like, you gotta let this shit go. Like, just like make up with him. Like come to terms, come to peace, ask him the things you never got to ask him. So the next morning after breakfast, Will sits down again next to his father's bed and he starts this conversation by comparing Edward to an iceberg. You know what the thing about icebergs is. You only see 10% above the water, and the other 90% is below the water where you can't see it. And this is because he tells amusing lies, right? Like, we never know where the truth is in any given story. What do you want, Will? Who do you want me to be? Just yourself. Good, bad, everything. Just, just show me who you are for once. I've been nothing but myself since the day I was born. And if you can't see that, it's your failing, not mine. I hate that. I know. Like, I, 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 I can't even. I, are you about to become? I'm getting mad. <laughs> I'm getting upset. Because you've been in situations before where we've desperately wanted adults to change their behavior because it was upsetting us. And literally to tell someone, if you can't handle me, that's your problem. Ah, no! And I'm like, so that went well. <laughs> Later that day, Sandra, Will, and Josephine are going through Edward's stuff in his shed, his man shed. Yeah, every man has a shed full of their life memories. And they actually find a piece of paper from the army during the Korean War that it, it was the letter. It was the letter they brought to her when he disappeared saying he's MIA and presumed dead. Yeah. This is an actual piece of tangible proof that a story Edward told is real. Yeah. And Will's like, what? <laughs> what is it? It was during the war. Your father went missing. They thought he was dead. Oh, that really happened? Not everything your father says is a complete fabrication. Her accent's pretty good, like her Alabama accent. Are you Southern? Proud Virginian. <laughs> the old Dominion, born and bred. Oh, I hate it. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> I love Constance. Oh, I hate her. She's worse. <laughs> We're still shed sorting. Yeah, we're going, because like, oh God, I'm not looking forward to that part of our lives at all where we just have to sort through all of our parents' papers. No, I'm not excited for that either. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, you know what? I lied. I am kind of excited for it. Not for their, not for their deaths. No, I am. like, sorry, mom. <laughs> you want to see all the documents from their lives. I want to see everything they wouldn't show us. Yeah, exactly. And so like, there's this house deed in there. And it's from a house inspector with Ed's name on it. And you're like, uh-oh, is this the second family I worried about? Uh-oh. This is literally like Betty Draper finding... The shoebox! Finding the shoebox with the deed to the house in California that Don bought for Anna. Like, when it comes to second families, it usually it begins with finding a deed. So, we're gonna go do a little bit of investigating, because what are we gonna do, ask mom? No, we're not gonna ask mom, even though that would be, like, the logical decision. Will drives to Spectre to investigate. He goes to the address on the deed 
It's this withered-looking old place. It's very swampy and overgrown, but it looks like it used to be a cute house back in the day. He goes up to the door and knocks, and then and Helena Bonham Carter answers again. And this is, like, younger Helena Bonham Carter. Not a witch. Yeah. She's not a witch. She's just a regular person. She just looks like a regular middle-aged person. Hello. Um, are you Jennifer Hill? I am. And you're Will. I've seen a picture of you. That's how I recognize you. HBC, you are a queen. She is a queen. You command the screen and stage like you were born there. You cannot do an American accent. No, she can't. Especially not a Southern American accent. I'm so glad you brought that up because most of the accent work is good in this movie, except for hers. Bless her little English heart. We soon learn that this is Jenny. From Spectre. The little girl who stole his shoes. That tried to entrap him in the cult. She's just been living out here, bitter and disappointed for like the past 20 years. And Will's like, so like, listen, I'm just going to level with you here. Was my dad having an affair with you? (laughs) How did you know my father? Oh, well, this was on his sales route. So he was through here all the time and everyone in town knew him. Were you having an affair? (laughs) Wow. Wow, you just said it. I was expecting to dance around this for another half hour. I love how she was like, wow, I expected to dance around that for at least a half an hour. Like, he's not that direct about it, obviously. But she's like, well, I wouldn't want to pale any impression you have of your father. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) You really thought that we were going to get a story here. For a minute, I was like, um, I don't know. Because, like, if you remember when back when he was Inspector the first time, how he and Jenny were talking, like, walking, they were, like, walking and talking, and she was like, I'm eight. And he's like, I'm 18. They're like, that's only 10 years difference. And it was, like, a little weird. Yeah, she's always had, like, an affinity for Edward, right? Yeah. Made him promise to come back to Spectre one day. He's like, so when I'm 18, you'll be 28. That's not that far. And I'm like, Ugh. So Will is just desperate for some answers. And not answers, I should say truth. He's desperate to hear someone else who's not his father tell him a truth about his father. Uh-huh. So Jenny starts in on the story of the second time that Edward came to Spectre. When he was late, not early. Yeah, this time when he got there, he was late. He, there's this terrible storm the night that he shows up and he gets off the road. He gets lost. Kind of like the first time he ends up inspector by accident, but it does not look like the rosy cult community that it did the first time. Yeah, it's a rundown. We've uh, run out of cult money. All the grass has died. All of the buildings are dilapidated and there's a road. Yeah, they put a road in. A new road had brought the outside world to Spectre. And with it, banks, liens, and debt. Almost everywhere you looked, people were bankrupt. The whole town is being foreclosed upon. Like, the entire town. We're suddenly at an auction where the auctioneer is like, all of the property related to Spectre therein. Do I hear $10,000? $10,000 for a whole town? Nice. (laughs) What a steal. Mm -hmm. And Edward starts buying up the town. He starts buying up all these houses, all these businesses, nobody is expected to leave. Nobody's expected to pay rent. He's just trying to keep people from losing their homes. Yeah. 
And so Jenny's house is the last house on the list. And he goes to her house. He's not sure who she is the moment he walks in. Because she's all grown up. Yeah. Now I'll offer you more than it's worth. And of course you won't have to move. Nothing will change except the name on the deed. You have my word. Now let me get this straight. You buy this one from me, but I'll stay in it. You'll own the house, but it'll still be mine. I'll be here. And you'll come go as you please to one place or another. Do I have that right? She is real persnickety with him at first. She's like, I don't want to sign over the deed to my house to you. Yeah, like, I, I, I'm not cool with that. Like, and he's like, well, you can keep it. It'll be in my name, but like, you can live here. Like, I'm not going to like take anything away from you. She basically tells him to piss off. Yeah. And y'all have been with us up until this point. Do you think for one moment that Edward took the hint and left? No. No. That is not the kind of man Edward Bloom is. So what he starts doing is he starts fixing up her rickety old house. Like, completely refurbishes it. Like, he fixes the foundation. He puts down new paint. He has Carl just kind of push it back into place. <laughs> Because it's tipping over. Yeah. And like, he just, every single detail, by the time he's finished, this is a home. That shot where he takes his hands off of her eyes and surprises her with uh -huh. the finished product. As the months passed, he found more and more things to fix until the shack no longer resembled itself. so nice it's great and you guessed it folks she's fallen in love with him during this time period and so like she casually makes a pass at him and he's like no 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 no! i'm a good person i love my wife i stayed here to help you because i'm a good person but i love my wife i'm in love with my wife i know and from the first day i saw her till the day i died She's the only one. Lucky girl. And like, he's like, okay, this is awkward. I have to leave. So he goes to leave. And before he can leave, she signs the deed to the house over to him. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I'm really glad he didn't cheat on her. The first time I saw this movie, I was like, oh no. I still think it's inexcusable to be away from your wife and child for years at a time taking care of this other woman. But like, hey, that's a valid point. As for the girl, the common belief is that she'd become a witch and crazy at that. She became something of a legend herself. And the story ended where it began so here's what i've gathered based on that bit of narration okay the whole story about seeing his death in that witch's eye definitely not real no like i mean that's the thing about this movie it gaslights us we are made to believe that maybe these stories aren't true but then we're seeing them acted out in front of our eyes right yes so we think they must be true the story about the eye is not true I think that Edward took aspects of Jenny's story and conflated them with this story about the old woman who lived in the swamp just to make the story more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that story definitely did not happen. I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Well, I've got good news for you then. Uh-huh. 
because Will gets home from visiting Jenny and he's looking around, hello? Where is everybody? And no one is in the house because Edward has had a stroke. Every, uh... Everyone's at the hospital. And so he goes and they have Dr. Bennett, the, the longtime family doctor. He's explaining to them that the prognosis is not good. Like he's, he's resting now, but he's at risk for further strokes. They have to start sleeping in shifts by his bedside so that someone will be there when he wakes up. And Will takes the first shift. I love this scene where Edward is unconscious and it's just him and Dr. Bennett in the room. And Dr. Bennett, <laughs> Dr. Bennett been new about this whole family situation. Yeah. He knows what kind of man Ed is and he knows that he and Will have never gotten along super well. And he's asking him, did your father ever tell you about the day you were born? And Will's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I know that story backwards and forwards. Yeah, because it's crazy. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. The real version. My mother came in about uh, three in the afternoon. Her neighbor drove her on account of your father. Was away on business in Wichita. You were born a week early, but there were no complications. It was a perfect delivery. Your father was sorry not to be there. What the hell? Like, that's the real story, but isn't it boring AF? I mean, yeah, but like, I, I the, the absolution in Will's face makes me happy for him. Like, he's so pleased that he heard a kernel of actual truth. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, I don't want to live in fabrications my whole life. I you know what I mean? No, I get it. I understand. I understand. Like, I'm on Team Will. <laughs> no. I really am. I am on Team Will for this entire movie as well. But I also do kind of agree with the doc. I suppose if I had to choose between the true version and an elaborate one involving a fish and a wedding ring, I might choose the fancy version. But then that's just me. I kind of liked your version context of that story itself the truth doesn't change anything about the outcome you know what i mean it's just an opportunity for you know edward to make himself look impressive which whatever so edward rouses from his stupor and he looks scared yeah I mean, he looks terrified he's looking straight ahead he's asking for will's help it, we're, it's gonna be difficult to play edward's clips here because he's just he's struggling for life in these moments he's asking will to tell him the story of how he goes what he saw in the eye and will's like what the hell are you talking about like come on he never told him that story right and, and i guess this is just edward going listen i've told you a thousand and one stories Tell me one for a change. Tell me how I'm going to go out. I see you. Somehow you're better. Dad? You're uh, different. Dad. Let's get out of here. And I say, Dad, you're in no condition. Get that wheelchair. I love this part. I get so weepy. This puts Carrie Ann in the biggest feels. Because he's just, Will is just trying to give a dying man his last wish. And he is coming up with this story on the spot. Remember the Dodge Charger, that sexy ass car that he drove in the 60s? Uh-huh. It's in the parking lot, but it's brand new, no damage. He puts Edward in the car and they start ripping through Sunday traffic. Where are we going? The river. 
they get to the Ashton River and he takes Edward out of the car. And when they go over the bank down towards the shore, they see everybody. Everybody from the whole time, from the whole story is there. And I mean, everyone. It's unbelievable. The story of my life. Don't you want Jessica Lang to be waiting for you in a river somewhere? Yes, I do! Because <laughs> she's there. Sandra's in the river. Will wades in, and Will just goes out into the center of the river and just kind of drops Edward in the water like he's going to baptize him. Mm-hmm. He turns into the big fish. You said it. You said it. I said it! You said the title of the movie from the movie. You become what you always were. A very big fish. And that's how it happens. Exactly. And then he just dies. I'm gonna stop. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh my god. We're assembling a church for the funeral. And this is where you kind of get to see, you know, what stories might be true and what stories might not be so true. Because people from the stories are starting to arrive for the ceremony. Like Amos and Soggy Bottom and Carl show up. Like, here's the thing. Here's where you get clarification on a lot of things. Because, like, Carl gets out of the car and he's big. He's pretty big. He's he's Matthew McGrory big, like seven feet tall. Yeah, he's just seven feet tall as opposed to 12, you know? So that story actually happened. Edward just, like, embellished about his height. He probably, Carl probably wasn't running around town eating sheep. Yeah, I don't think that was true you either. You know, I'm sure people ostracized him because he was big, but like, and you know, there's also Ping and Jing, but they're not conjoined twins. They're just... Separated twins. Yeah, they're regular twins. Yeah. So he made that part of the story up. But he still went missing in Korea, and they still helped him get home. And Norther's there, and the mayor from Spectre, and all the other Spectre citizens are there. Jenny's here. Yeah, Jenny's there. After the funeral is over, we don't get any audio of this happening, but everybody is standing around, and everybody's laughing they're telling stories about Edward to each other and they're laughing and rejoicing in his memory. It's what you want your funeral to be. Honestly. Yeah. That was my father's final joke, I guess. A man tells his stories so many times that he becomes the stories. They live on after him. And in that way, he becomes immortal. In the Ashton River. And it's, oh, I love it. I'm so glad he's finally dead. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Yeah, I knew. I'm sick of it. I knew you were sick of it. Uh, I know. Guys, that went exactly how I thought it was going to go for me. Why don't you elaborate on that for me a little bit? Listen, you've been pushing me to watch this film for a long time. <laughs> and I just, it made me mad. And it made me annoyed. <laughs> like I knew it would. Like, like, like I bet you felt this way about the village. I mean... Uh. 
No, not not honestly. Not about the village, at least. Well, like, what about a movie that I've shown you that you were just like, I knew probably about how much that was going to go for me. Uh, Driving Lessons. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, you know, you look at Driving Lessons, you're like, eh, you know, I know how that's going to go for me. I'm going to say it. I love the way this movie makes me feel. <laughs> that's you. Yeah. That's you at this movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> I thought that at least from a production standpoint, you would really enjoy it. No, it, I, I, I will say that this is a different kind of Tim Burton project for me. It's not inundated with darkness. Exactly. You know what I mean? It is actually a very wacky, uplifting tale. Mm -hmm. In most Tim Burton projects, there's this somberness throughout. Mm -hmm. And in this, I didn't really get that. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like there were a lot more fingers in this pie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. In terms of filmmaking. Despite the fact that the point is, how unrealistic is something? I never got that impression the entire time watching Like, it. your belief was not suspended. It really wasn't. guys thanks for sticking around for big fish we've decided that for the month of march we're gonna just do another potpourri style month well yeah we're just gonna do some things some things that we've been wanting to do some things that we've been putting off next week we will be covering a childhood favorite of both of ours so you know guys the pandemic of course has been rough and it has stopped our, you know, communal social life in a way that has been pretty detrimental. Usually every March, at least in Indiana, we're getting into the March Madness. Oh, God. With the basketball. You might have heard of Indiana State Bird. It's a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> basketball is, of course, it's the state sport in Indiana. It really is. It really is. Next week, we will be covering the 1996 sports animated live action film <laughs> Space Jam. Yes. We're, we're doing Space Jam. We're doing Space Jam. <laughs> Come on, slam if you want to jam. All right, so look out for that, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N. S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join this watch party. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Period, I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. I just wanted to make sure everything was okay. Are you currently recording in this current moment? Yes. Yeah, we're about to. I, we're, we're, we're getting. Is this, is this being recorded? Mm. Chloe okay, loves. Okay, keep this in the podcast. Chloe loves. Say hello. Hello, kicking and streaming. <laughs> Go to my Twitter at Chloe with three H's and give my booty pick a like. <laughs> You're you speaking are... with our very good friend, Miss Chloe Love. <laughs> it's a nice ass. <laughs>